Welcome to the first episode of Culture Pop. I'm your host Allie, and you can find me on Twitter at Callie Allie Allie. That's Allie spelled A L Y. Like I said, this is the first episode of Culture Pop. This is a podcast where I talk about all things pop culture,、uh, mostly shows and movies that I love or hate. The point is to discuss recent episodes and dissect them until it makes sense or not. This week, I want to talk about the season premiere of The Leftovers. This season will only have eight episodes. That seems to be kind of a trend now.、Uh, series ending with only a few episodes, like Game of Thrones is six episodes. I think there's only two seasons left, and each season is like six episodes. Oh, and before I begin, obviously there will be spoilers. <laughs> we'll just say that everything that I talk about will have spoilers, unless it's like news talk. But if I'm talking about a show or a movie, I'm definitely going to spoil it for you. So if you're not a fan of spoilers, stop listening. Oh, boogers! But come back after you've watched. If you don't. Care about spoilers? Continue listening and let me know what you think. Hooray!、Uh, so、the show follows Kevin Garvey, played by the talented and very handsome Justin Thoreau.、Uh, he's a cop from New York, coping just like the rest of the world with the disappearance of two percent of the population.、Um, this happened on October fourteenth. The day is known as the sudden departure. Vanished. That's it. Those people just one minute they're there, the next they're gone. The show does this great job of just walking this fine line between scientific rationale and spiritual meaning. What I mean by that is that strange things happen throughout the series that bring up lots of interesting questions. It's like, what the fuck just happened? Sometimes it's just so unexplainable. So there's always reasoning behind things like、Eureka! last season when John shot Kevin in the chest and Kevin didn't die. What?、Uh, there is a small chance that where Kevin got shot, if you missed like a centimeter of an inch of some kind of artery, he doesn't die. And same thing with the poison. You can take a certain amount of poison, and it'll like shut your system down for a little while, but you'll still be able to survive.、Hooray! Very slim chances, but they just keep happening. So these are th- these are things that could lead you to believe that there is a higher power, but there are also scientific reasoning that would prove otherwise. So, if you're a fan of the show, you'll remember that in the first season, Kevin is mainly struggling to just keep his life together. Group hug. And it ended with him and Nora, who lost her entire family during the departure.、Uh, the season ended with a baby at their doorstep, baby Lily, and their new family was formed. <laughs> they just decided that they were going to stay there and and try to get through this time in the world together.、Yay! Season two was a wild one for Kevin. Not that season one wasn't wild, but this one was pretty crazy. In that Kevin starts to go really, really crazy. Patty, the leader of the guilty remnant, who was actually supposed to be dead, now she lives inside Kevin's hallucinations,、what? and he can't differentiate between what's going on in his head and reality. What's happening? Patty's pretty much. Coaching Kevin through a suicide, and she's just guiding him to his death. And somehow, 
Kevin figures out a way to cheat death and actually learned how to die and come back. He's like a pro at it now. Crazy shit. Anyway, the show is awesome. And season three picks up after season two left off. I'm not the religious type or anything, and I've never read the Bible. But the show references uh, Bible stories and religious movements all the time. And um, it forces me to do research. You know, I don't get some of the symbolism or some of the references. And the show has... There's so many layers to the show and every scene and every every word has a deeper meaning. And I always want to know what it's about. It's fun. It's like a game. So the opening scene to this episode was in reference to The Great Disappointment. The Great Disappointment is a, from what I read, a reaction to these people that followed this guy. He was a Baptist preacher and his name was William Miller. And he kept saying that Jesus Christ was coming back to earth in 19 and 18. I'm sorry, 1844. Hallelujah. And no matter how many times this guy changed the date, Jesus never came. So in the opening scene, we see this preacher and all his followers. It almost looks like he's doing it mathematically. He's looking for a date uh, when Jesus will come. He keeps writing different dates down on the on this blackboard to take them all to heaven. I guess this is known as the rapture. And doves would come every day to their village with messages strapped to them. Uh, he kept writing these dates on on the blackboard. And I'm guessing the little messages had dates on them. I love how one of the dates is uh, January 21st. It was, That was the day after the inauguration this year uh, in 2017. On January 21st, everybody needed Jesus. So anyway, this redheaded woman... She has such blind faith, and it doesn't matter how many times the preacher had it wrong. She just continues to climb this ladder. So the, the preacher would put a date on the board, and then let's say that date was tomorrow, that tomorrow everyone would climb to their roof of their house and wait for God to come. They did this a few times, and nothing ever happened. <sighs> At first, everyone was doing this. Everyone was climbing. They were all for it. The whole village. And every time, nothing. Until eventually, everybody just stopped climbing ladders except her. This redheaded woman just kept going. And each time, I'm sure the disappointment weighed a little heavier on her soul. I It, it couldn't have been good for her. Her husband and her son decided to just leave her because... I mean, why do you, she, she was going crazy. She lost everything for it. She lost everything for her faith. And in the end, we don't really see what happens to them. We just see her climb the ladder. It's, it rains the night, the final night we see her. It's pouring rain, which I guess is in reference to the great flood. And then that leads into like Noah's Ark and stuff like that. See, I know a little bit about the Bible. I, I do my research. Anyway, so... This whole, this whole sequence kind of sets the tone for the entire episode and maybe the entire season. The theme of the episode seems to be that history repeats itself. And we see callbacks and flashbacks throughout this episode, which is really great. So we hop over to Jardin, Texas, where Evie and Meg are having a conversation. Well, Evie's writing things down and Meg is responding to her. Evie asks Meg, what, you know, what are we waiting for? Which is very cryptic and I don't really know what it means. And then a bomb comes flying down on them and they die. In the book, the Guilty Remnant are a very religious cult. Either way, they're really scary in their silent ways. 
they really want people to just remember those who departed, but they're so mean about it. And I don't know, they're just creepy. And I guess that's just how ra- radical organizations start. People who believe in something so strongly, they'll go to extremes just to make the whole world believe what they're believing in. And in the end, I think everyone is only just trying to find a purpose, something to make sense of this crazy, crazy world that we're living in. And I'm all for that. Find your purpose. I just wish people wouldn't get so violent about it. Anyway, flash forward to three years after this this drone bomb hits uh, Evie and Meg and the rest of the guilty remnant that were staying in Jordan. It's 14 days until the seventh anniversary to the sudden departure. Kevin has grown a full beard. He is now chief of police in Jordan. Again, he's a cop, but this time he's on a horse. Yeehaw! So Tommy is also a cop. Tommy is Kevin's adopted son with his ex-wife, Lori. Uh, remember how Kevin's dad was also chief of police in New York? This is all just history repeating itself, as I mentioned before. Jill, I guess, is in college. I don't know. But she was only in the episode towards towards the end when they threw that party for Tommy. And Nora, Nora is working as the sudden departure social worker again. And I finally noticed that the baby wasn't around Lily. I mean, I guess she wouldn't be a baby anymore because it's three years into the future. I can't even guess what happened. I don't know. Uh, Nora's in a cast it's very weird. Anyway, Nora's brother, Matt, is still a preacher. But now his wife, Mary, has miraculously come out of her coma and she had a baby. <laughs> but it seems a little bit like Matt is holding Mary and Noah hostage. That's the feeling you get in the beginning when they are, they're introduced at the church where uh, Matt is speaking. Oh, John Murphy, the firefighter that lived next door in the house next door to Kevin. The guy that was, I called him the anti-spiritual guide. He would go as far as to burn people's houses to the ground. Imagine that, a firefighter who starts fires, but also puts them out. What? Uh, He looks a little different now, like softer, like he's soft. He's grown soft. Not scary, like last season, he doesn't look as rugged and, and as thuggish, I guess you could say, as he did last year, or last season. And he's reading Palms now, which is a complete 180 this season for John. And he's got a little helper. He, I guess he's now with uh, Kevin's ex-wife, Lori. I don't know if they're married or what now. I mean, it's been three years. Only time will tell. But John and Lori start making out in front of Kevin. (laughs) Group hug. And I didn't see that coming. But Kevin reacts like he's happy for his friends now. It's so weird. How would you feel watching your ex make out with someone else, with your neighbor? What's happening? I don't know. Weird dynamic. But John's wedding. He's still wearing a wedding ring. So I don't know if it's his wedding ring with Erica. Where is Erica? Where did she go? She wasn't in this episode at all. Anyway, Lori, Lori is helping John by going. John's got an earpiece on while he's reading palms. And Lori is upstairs in a room away from John and whoever's palm he's reading. And she's she's going through people's Facebooks and she's feeding John this information through a little earpiece in John's ear. It's so that people actually think that John is a psychic. I'm sure that's how it's done now. I'm really, I'm almost positive that these scams are run all the time. Um, it's very easy to get any kind of information on anybody. And so John shreds the money that he gets from this scam that they're running, I guess, to not feel like he's taking these people. I mean, but why don't you just do it for free and just not charge people and tell people you don't want to take their money instead of shredding it? Because it's still a waste of money. 
essentially you're still wasting people's money because you're you're shredding it maybe if they decided not to take the money they'll they'll be less credible i don't know by the way john is uh he's starting to wear new you know, remember i said he's got a different look he's wearing these glasses that look very similar to the ones evie would wear and i'm almost positive that's on purpose we get to catch kevin garvey during his normal morning routine you know nora goes for a bike ride and kevin tapes a plastic bag over his head what Right. I wasn't sure if he was trying to get back to that hotel again, like he did in an in international assassin. I love the shot where he's picking out his outfit in the morning and the camera is uh, placed inside of the the closet. It's a great callback to uh, international assassin. That's immediately what I went back to when I saw that scene. That was from season two. One of my favorite, favorite, favorite episodes of the entire series so far. Such a captivating episode, and it was so creepy, and it was just awesome. Man, there are so many callbacks in this episode to that one episode. Is it just me, or when someone is drowning or suffocating on screen, I tend to breathe in a little deeper? Those types of scenes really give me anxiety, man. I don't know. Anyway, this scene in particular reminds me of when Dean, the hunter from season one, Dean tried to kill Patty by taping a plastic bag over her head. Yeah, the callbacks in this episode are insane. I think Kevin, no matter what he does, he's always going to have something fucked up in his head. He's just always going to feel this way. There's just something inside of him that's just making him, you know, in the beginning of the episode, everything's going fine. But I, I really think that Kevin has been through too much. There's everyone has been through so much and he's always going to need to be on that verge of death just to feel alive, just to feel like he's got a pulse. He needs to almost die. Or maybe it's not that. Maybe it's that he feels that he's invincible since he's come back. And Nora used to do kind of the same thing when she would hire people to come to her house and shoot her for money. She would wear this bulletproof vest and have people just shoot her in the chest. I just think they're both so messed up in the head that they need to feel, they want to feel alive. And this is the only way that they can get that feeling. They're just soulmates. Nora and Kevin are soulmates. Dean, again, the hunter, the dog hunter from season one, well, he's come back and he thinks that some dog has now taken a human form. <laughs> he comes to visit Kevin at the police station and he starts saying that some senator has a dog DNA and that he's ultimately going to take over the world. And according to Dean, this is how the world ends. Huh. This is all over a half eaten peanut butter sandwich, by the way. Dean comes with this cooler. I thought he was going to pull out like a finger or something or someone's head or a hand. I don't know. I thought it was going to be something way worse, but it was a peanut butter sandwich. Uh, and he also says that he discovered all this uh, while he was working undercover as part of a hotel catering staff. Wasn't there a, a guy from catering or a guy from the hotel who brought food to Kevin, an international assassin? Again, we're, we're going back to that episode. Also, Kevin kills a senator in International Assassin. All this happened in the same episode. I mean, is this real or is Kevin back in that weird limbo of between life and death? I, I have no idea because I don't, I don't know. I love, I love how the music abruptly stops. <laughs> halfway through the scene too it's like kevin is thinking back on the man that he used to be when he would quote unquote hang with dean this delusional crazy kevin that didn't even know if dean was real or just some made-up character in his head um this is such a great scene 
Kevin tells Dean that he's crazy. He says, everything that you think is real, this is all in your head. And then we get a flashback to Kevin, again, an international assassin, and he's pushing young Patty into the well. When he tells Dean that this isn't real and that it's all in his head, it seems like it's some kind of mantra. And he's just repeating it himself to himself to make him feel better and to bring him back to his reality or to bring him back to some kind of reality. I don't know what reality we're in right now. And you don't tell a crazy person that they are crazy. This is all according to Lori, because then they end up doing something crazier, which is why Kevin drank poison after Lori told him that he was losing it. Later, Dean tries to kill Kevin, but Tommy, uh, Kevin's son, comes to the rescue and shoots Dean in the head. The blood spatter from this scene is insane. My OCD kicked in, and I really wanted to clean up Kevin's used-to-be white shirt. So Dean's presence in this episode is definitely not by accident. The creators definitely had Dean, who was a character from season one, come back on purpose. Like, he was missing all of season two. We didn't even talk about the guy, and now he's he's come back out of nowhere. Otherwise, I don't see the point of having him come back for one small crazy scene only to be killed not two scenes later. And you know what, though? It could be that they placed him there just to show how much Kevin has changed since season one. I don't know. Or maybe to show that Kevin, even though things look pretty normal and he seems pretty well put together, that Kevin is still struggling with his reality. Maybe that's why they have him there. I don't know. But I hope they bring him back or I hope they explain what the hell he was talking about. It was really interesting to me when Kevin told Tommy that he killed Patty and her security detail. Huh. That's another flashback to International Assassin. As the as the cops are investigating the scene and Dean's body is there, you know, covered up, <laughs> this random dog comes and snatches the half-eaten peanut butter sandwich, which was so weird. Again, I'm sure it was done on purpose, unless they're just trying to fuck with us. Uh, so at Tommy's not-so-surprise birthday party... Uh, all the boys are kind of sitting outside on the porch, drinking beers and talking about their, their own 25th birthday. And Kelvin tells us his story. He's telling his story about his one of his birthdays where... Oh, and Kevin is wearing a crown in this scene, by the way. And he's telling the story about the day he met Lori, which is uh, Tommy's mom. Uh, Lori hit Kevin's car, his cop car, with her car. And that's the day that they, they met and they got together. And he specifically said, I don't know, it's like divine intervention. And you just see Matt and everyone else just, and they're just staring at him, not saying a word, just taking in every word that and then Matt weirdly says at one point, he's like, oh, I just I've never heard that story before. What? That's so weird. At one point, Mary and Nora are at, at Kevin's house and Mary confesses to Kevin and Nora that that she's leaving Jordan forever, that she's sick of Matt controlling her and that Matt doesn't let her leave the town limits because because he's scared that she will fall back into a coma and that she's going to get sick again. Did anyone else find it weird the way Nora reacted she was just kind of like, oh, well, I mean, I know I'm still trying to figure out if I like Matt or not, because sometimes he's cool, sometimes he's not. But, dude, that's your brother. At least act like you're upset that his wife is leaving. Kevin's reaction was totally normal. He was kind of like, hey, lady, look, this guy took care of you when you were a vegetable and cut him a break or something. Cause, I mean, he did. He sacrificed everything to take care of you. But then... Then we find out that Mary, she's she's playing like tattletale here, but she tells Kevin that Matt, John and John's son, Michael, are writing a book about Kevin, a gospel, as it were, because, 
you know, Kevin has died a few times already and he's come back. He's like a walking miracle, which is why everyone is staring at Kevin the night of Tommy's party. They were trying to remember every word so that they could document everything he said for the book of Kevin. And this isn't unusual for Matt to do something this crazy in the name of all things spiritual and holy. Matt is a fanatic. Yet, uh, again, like I said, I don't really know how I'm supposed to feel about Matt. Um, sometimes he's an asshole and he passes out flyers with people's personal information and starts gossip around the town. And then there's the sweet side of him where he's sacrificed himself to take care of his wife, you know, when she really, really needed him, when she needed somebody and he was there for her. I mean, I know that's his wife, but still that same wife who now wants to leave him, um, you know, but it's like Kevin doesn't want to believe that he's resurrected a bunch of times. He's in complete denial. And this is that push and pull and that fine line between the mystical and the scientific. And can we prove that this happened? And can we prove that, you know, there's no other explanation for this? So again, this is isn't really out of character for Matt, but what really surprised me was John Murphy. Once again, this guy was the, the most cynical person. This guy didn't care about anything spiritual or holy. And now he's helping Matt write this book, The Book of Kevin. Obviously, there have been a series of events that have led John towards the path of becoming a believer. You know, as he mentions, he shot Kevin in the chest and left him for dead. And then Kevin shows up at the ER a few hours later, like nothing happened. Well, not like nothing happened, but, you know, he shows up later, you know, instead of immediately after getting shot. You know what? I also think this has a lot to do with, and, and Kevin says this to John, as a lot to do with the fact that Evie is now presumably dead and that his already broken marriage to Erica apparently is ultimately destroyed and John is just looking for a new purpose you know and like he says we all can't be going through this for nothing which is why he's on this spiritual trip I wonder if Tommy's involved in writing the book too huh Tommy would be able to provide a lot of testimonial that's interesting um so the episode ends in what looks like Australia. And there doesn't seem to be a lot of, from the scene, there's not a lot of people. There's not a lot of civilization. It's just very lush. And someone straps four or five cages of uh, white doves to a bike and she rides them to a nun. Well, shortly after we find out that this someone is an older Nora. She looks exhausted and beat up. And somehow now she goes by the name of Sarah. Huh. I don't know if this is like a parallel world that we're dealing with now. I don't know how much into the future this is. I actually can't confirm that it's actually Australia, but that's what it looks like. The nun asks her, she says, does the name Kevin mean anything to you? And she says, no, Sarah or Nora, Nora, Sarah. She says, no. Anyway, that's how it ends. In my opinion, this was a great season opener full of the same mystery that led me to love this show in the first place. This is one of my top three favorite shows. Here are some questions that I have. I hope this show answers since this is the last season. Number one, what happened to Lily? <laughs> the last we saw of Lily was in season two finale during the stampede scene. Nora is protecting Lily on the bridge uh, so that she doesn't get trampled by the herd of people crossing over. And then Kevin and Jill have this conversation about Lily and Jill asks Kevin how Nora is doing in regards to Lily. And Kevin tells her that her and him and Nora, they don't talk about it. They just don't bring it up. I just want to know what happened to Lily. 
Number two, why is Nora in a cast? What happened to her arm?、Uh, will Mary and Noah actually leave Jarden? And if they do, is Mary doomed to fall back into her coma? And by the way, I love the parallel here. You know, in the beginning of the episode, where we see that that redheaded woman, she follows her her faith so much, and she gets so involved that her husband decides to leave her with his son, with their son, and that directly mirrors、uh, Mary's decision to take her son and leave Matt, who has become a fanatic to his beliefs as well.、Uh, number five, what is the point of Dean blowing the dog whistle? When he went to visit Kevin at the police station in season one, I think Kevin would have heard that dog whistle anyway. It would have drove him fucking nuts, but、uh, not this time. And、uh, finally, why is Nora Sarah now? And what happened to Kevin? Is this after the apocalypse? Has the world ended and Nora's the only one left? Is she mad at Kevin because maybe he died on purpose? I just have so many questions, and hopefully we'll we'll get some answers, and we won't get the same series ending like the way Lost did, where it was just very open. For interpretation, hopefully the creators can do a little bit of a better job at、uh, closing all those doors for us. I would be really pissed if that happened. If they if it ended like Lost, I would be really really upset. And I don't think I'd ever watch another show from these people, even though they're fantastic writers. Ah,、uh, so anyways, let me know what you guys think. I would love to hear your thoughts over the show or on my over my podcasts. Again, you can tweet me at Callie Alley Alley. My blog is at www.alleyalleylately.com. That's Alley spelled A L Y. I am off to make a peanut butter sandwich. So until next week, have a good one.